Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Roleplay Chat. I'm Matt, a game master who just can't stop talking about role-playing games. In today's episode, I'm joined by Tom and Bodie from Homie and the Dude to talk about sky-based games. In today's conversation, we cover a lot of ground. We talk about things like running combat in the sky with sky vessels and creatures in the sky. We talk about creating cool characters that take advantage of the fact that you're running a game in a sky-based environment. We also talk about how you can build interesting vessels and vehicles for your sky-based games. And of course, Tom and Bodie talk to us a little bit about their new Kickstarter, or their upcoming Kickstarter, called Sky Zephyrs, which is a really neat 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons resource. It can also be used in other contexts, but for the most part it's it's built around 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, and you can really elevate your game into the sky. Before we get into the chat though, I did have a little bit of housekeeping like always to announce to everybody today. The first announcement is that I had the pleasure of joining Maria, or Happy Capster, on their show Nightcap. Nightcap is a really fun, candid, cafe-style conversation YouTube show. It's going to be released next Tuesday, so upcoming Tuesday, which is June 27th. I highly encourage you to go find Happy Capster on YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and listen to me talk about the things that I like to talk about. I talk a little bit about the podcast, give some behind-the-scenes about what it's like interviewing folks in the TTRBG space, and more. The next announcement, or actually the next two announcements, relate to ways that you can help support me and the show. The first isn't super new, but I think it's still, you know, it's working its way out there, is the fact that I opened up an Etsy shop. So I opened up an Etsy shop called the Dungeon Terrain Depot, and that's a place where you can purchase terrain, scatter terrain, walls, dungeon tiles, uh, rocks, and other things that you can use in your Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop role-playing game systems to kind of add an extra layer of uh, an extra dimension to your games. A lot of the terrain pieces that I build are intended to be used alongside traditional tabletop role-playing, like in-person tools. I'm not a big fan of having a gigantic array of terrain. While it always looks super cool, I find it not very practical. But having, you know, uh, a little tent and maybe some walls and some, some columns that you can use in addition to your whiteboard or in addition to some of the minifigures or, or, or Lego figures or whatever it is you're using to visually represent your, your, your game, the terrain that I'm selling on Dungeon Terrain Depot can help supplement that. So go check it out. It's an Etsy shop. It's li- it's going to be linked in the show description of every episode of Roleplay Chat moving forward. And yeah, so if, if you want to spice up your game, bring life to your game, you can purchase some of these small scatter terrain pieces that just add a little bit of a little extra dimension to your combat or to your to your environments. And then the last announcement before we get into the episode with Tom and Bodhi is that I am going to be launching a Patreon for Roleplay Chat. The one thing that's very clear to me is that the listeners of Roleplay Chat want more Roleplay Chat. And while I can't currently commit to releasing an episode every week, I can certainly commit to releasing longer episodes every two weeks. So what I'm going to do is the Patreon is going to be a place where you can support me, but also unlock an additional 15 to 30 minutes of content every episode. 
I've recorded some really interesting conversations with guests about how they prepare their games, the tools that they like to use to run better games. So if you subscribe to the Patreon, which is going to be linked up and launched not this not this episode, but next episode, and I'll make an announcement then too, but you can sign up for the Patreon and in doing so, you know, you'll have some of the usual things like a shout out on the show as a thank you. You'll be able to ask me questions about what I, you know, suggest co- content for me, that kind of thing. But the the real takeaway is that you're going to be getting more roleplay chat if you subscribe to the Patreon. Anyway, enough with the uh, with the, the 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 housekeeping. Let's jump right into the discussion with Tom and Bodie or Homie and the Dude about sky-based games. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Roleplay Chat. I'm Matt, a game master who can't stop talking about role-playing games, and today I am super jazzed to talk to you about our guests and to talk to you about combat, adventures, world-building in a land of air, if, if you will. But uh, yeah, so before we get to that, let's introduce our wonderful guests They are a father and son dynamic duo who are known for amazing interviews of all kinds of personalities, ranging from pro athletes, artists, musicians, and tabletop RPG creatives and more. In addition to their amazing interview show, they themselves are amazing tabletop RPG content creators with a host of game supplements, rules, NPC packs, and their very own family handmade dice. They are the hosts of an amazing actual play series called The Sky Realm, and soon, if not currently right now, a Kickstarter with all kinds of sky resources for your Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role-playing games will be out for you to back. Please welcome me in joining Tom and Bodie, or you might know them as Homie and the Dude. Welcome to Roleplay Chat. What wow, an intro! That was the best. The crowd that, goes wild. That, that was the best intro. That, that that was one of the best ever. Dude, that, that was kick ass. By the way, it is good to see you again. Yeah, it's fantastic to see the two of you again. It really yeah. is. Yeah, it's a pleasure, dude. And uh, you know, um, yeah, dude. Thank you for having us. And you know, it, it's it's one of those ones where also you just did a lot of research. I'm realizing, I'm like, as you're going through that list, I'm like, damn, you 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 did a lot of research there. You actually looked into a lot of stuff like that. That's that's the that's the type of shit we would do. I like that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. The research. I didn't get stats this time. Sometimes I go and like I do a poll to get stats. I'm sorry to say I did I didn't do that this time. But otherwise, the research. Yeah, look, you're saying it was done, and I'm blessed to have the two of you back, uh, calling in at midnight or one thirty. Is it one thirty? Uh, it's twelve thirty here 12, in the UK. 12, 30. Okay. <laughs> It's right, dude. We we we're, we're well. I'm 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 young and able to to withstand it. Tom Tom's a bit old. Dude, I'm nearly at wake up time, let alone go to bedtime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm I'm glad to have you here, especially considering that you know things are really ramping up for your Kickstarter. Why don't you give everybody listening a really quick, uh, you know, heads up about the Kickstarter? Say hello. And then we'll move on to something that's new to the two of you, our lightning round. Oh, amazing. Okay, so I'm ready for the lightning um, round. 
if you're listening to this, we have been working on new uh, sky-based combat rules for um, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. This is an overlay that can be applied to things like Spelljammer, um, airships, planes, um, and also simply modified for things like naval, sub-naval, and also um, terrestrial combat with land-based vehicles as well. Um, these rules will include everything from three-dimensional movement to brand new player feats with expanded aircrew rules. Um, and, of course, a whole host of example uh, airships for you to use in your game, crews to put on them, creatures to populate your world with, items to fill your character's pockets with, all the great stuff. Um, but something that we're super proud of is actually an application that we've built to go along with this. You will be able to now fully customize and build, modify your very own airship for you and your and I'll say this in quotations, privateering crew um, <laughs> as, you, uh, as, as, as you hit the skies. So with our new ship builder application that will turn into a vehicle builder as we expand it throughout the coming years, um, you will be able to choose parts and stations to build your very own airship. And you'll get a little bill at the end to tell you how much it costs. So that's nice. <laughs> but that is our Sky Zephyr's kickstarter um if you haven't yet go follow the page go check the pre-launch page and if it's live now um go donate go um go back it there's lots of awesome stuff there will be some amazing stretch goals in there so uh and it's made by an incredible artist it's written by myself and tom and our writing partner tony um and it's been hours of love we we, we say it's a Tom and I say it's our love song to the TTRPG community. We hope, uh, we hope people love it, and we hope you just play it on repeat. That's uh, that's all we hope from from this project. Yeah, and I mean, from the content that I've seen, uh, you know, you can definitely see the love and care that was put into it. So I'm extremely excited to talk to the two of you about aerial tabletop RPG play today. You know, it's something that I've personally have always been interested in. I've tried my hand at it, but it is, you know, it's complicated. And without a mm. shipbuilder, like the one that you're talking about, it can become very overwhelming very quickly. So, I, yeah, I'm really excited to get into that and, and to talk about this aerial, how an aerial dimension can change a tabletop mm. role-playing game. But oh, yeah. before we do that, let's get right down to the brass tacks, to business, Let's lightning ask round. you guys some questions from the lightning round. And here the rules are quite simple. <laughs> you have to pick a side and you can't explain why you've picked that side. Oh. I'm going to go through a number of questions and they're designed to help the listeners of Roleplay Chat get to know you as a tabletop RPG player and or game master a little bit better. I'm not saying cool. that, you know, your answers here tell everything about the complexities of you as a player or game master, but they definitely, you know, shed some light and help put into perspective your advice today. But if anyone's going to, anyone listening is going to clip a section of this and slander us on the internet, this is the That's exactly, so, so exactly the are, intention. Are we, picking a side, are we picking a side as a team or are we doing it individually? Oh, question. I mean, let's go individually. Why not? Cool. Yeah. Just, Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That cool. way you don't you don't have to like debate it. You can just go with your gut, you know? Just go cool. right. With I your love gut. it. Sounds great. All right. First question. Do you prefer a sandbox game or a linear game? And we'll start with, with Bodhi. 
to play in sandbox to GM linear. Okay. How about you, Tom? I'm gonna just. Say, I'm. I'm not GMing, so I would say sandbox. Okay. I, I, I want that. Yeah. When you don't need any, but any like justification or anything. No, you, I mean you. Yeah, if you can do it in 15 seconds, you can. You can yeah. give a justification. I just feel like I, I, it just gives us more creativity to to go where where and and for stupid shit to happen as well. Like, <laughs> linear linear as a GM because it's less prep and also because if we're running a actual play, it keeps us on track for things. But other, yeah. other than that, I, I love playing in sandbox and running sandbox is really fun as well. Moving cool. on. Cool, cool, cool. All right, what about uh, theater of the mind or maps, minis, and physical accessories? <sighs> Ooh. Oh, you bastard! What a <laughs> you absolute bastard! Um, I have to go. I have to go. Um, maps, minis, and accessories. But I, I do all my stuff digital, so I don't do minis and accessories. I do all like digital VTT stuff, um, mm-hmm, battle mm-hmm. maps, tokens, you know that kind of stuff. So that that's, that's too, me. Yeah. Just yeah. just for players who can't visualize it. I, I I know like as a dyslexic, I have friends who can't who just can't see it, and so having something on the table helps them. Yeah. For me, reflexively, I'm saying theater of the mind, but I've been in certain combat. Theater of the mind has just been absolutely shit show. I have no idea what's going on, but there's something romantic about theater of the mind that I, I'm clinging on to right now that have done well. So, so here's the thing. Theater of the mind, but the, the GM has to be exceptional at painting a geographic picture. So it has to be Kind of a theater of the mind with some matte emphasis. There's some shade right there to Bodhi right now. Is that what you're saying? Are you like saying? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm not going to mention games, but there have been a, a couple of I'm different just... games where we have been like, both of us, we've like, just been like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, like yeah. just, just kind of like trying to figure out where you are, where the other people are, where like what's going on has been very, very difficult. Mm. difficult it can be yeah. a challenge for sure, for sure. All right, next one, Marshall or Magic? Oh, Marshall, Marshall for me as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured yeah, the yeah. two of you would pick that. Okay, um. <laughs> but, but for different reasons. For different reasons. So for me, the less I need to worry about like spells and all that shit, mm. the easier it is for my fifty-seven-year-old, fifty-six-year-old, how am I? Fifty-seven-year-old brain. That's the point. That is the point right there. <laughs> Same reason for me, and also I get to punch people and describe punching people. And I love that. <laughs> I, I do love that. What about fantasy or sci-fi? God damn, dude! What is happening right now? Um, this is savage. I'm going, uh, I'm going sci-fi. Sci-fi is more expansive, but f- nothing beats a bow and arrow, man. Nothing mm. beats a bow and arrow. I'm going, I'm going fantasy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, we got some some adversity there. That that's good. That's good. <laughs> uh, two two more two more quick ones. Go for it. Go for it. Crunchy or fluffy game systems? Ooh, god damn you, Matt. Uh, I mean, uh, I I err on the side of fluffy just because I feel like storytelling is easier. But I do like crunch for combat. That's me. Um, I'm going to also err on fluffy um, just because although it could get a little confusing or a little too loose with combat, I just prefer roleplay so much better. And I think it just all bogs down for me when it gets too crunchy. And we're just sitting there trying to figure out, mm-hmm. you know, step by step by step Good stuff that's going on. That's fair. Yeah, sometimes you, do, you definitely don't want the game to get in the way of the game. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. it. That's exactly it. And uh, the, last, the last one, when you're building a character, do you use the point by, a standard array, 
or equivalent, or do you roll dice? Point by. Standard array. I don't care. I live here. <laughs> I don't care. It's, that's not what it's about for me. I'm not, I'm not minimaxing at all. I, I don't care. I just want to play the character. See, yeah, I, yeah. I point by. <laughs> the, the only reason I point by is because I usually like to give myself a super dump stat. Like, I like to give myself like a, mm. a low, like eight, or like, you know, some, something where I'm like, this character has a serious, like, flaw to them. So then I, but then that also allows me to stack something else and make something else really interesting about my character. And I like, usually like to have them conflicting each other as well. Yeah. 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 Are these, are these standard or do, you, or, or do you come up with different ones for each? I, I have a big list of them, and I, I take, like, I don't know, eight, eight out of the okay. 13, 14. Those were good. Yeah, yeah, those were yeah. good. Good. Yeah, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you got the, the blood pumping. The interview, <laughs> interview has started, right? The interview has started. Um, yeah. All right. So let's, let's move on then. In, unless, you know what, I'll give you guys the opportunity. Is there anything that I forced you to say just now that you feel like you need to justify a little bit more before it lives on on the internet? Are you good to move on? Dude, I'm good. I'm good with it. I'm, I'm good with everything. And, and like, okay. some of it's not popular, but I don't care. Like, that's just how yeah. I prefer to play. Yeah. Yeah. Can they I can come find just... you on Twitter at homie and the dude. Yeah. And they exactly. can complain all they want. <laughs> exactly. And we'll, we'll, we'll deal with those complaints. But good. All right. So now that you, the two of you have said your answers, there's no going back. You have to live with that forever. And we're going to move on. <laughs> no, I'm going back. I'm going back. No I'm going, going back. back. Yeah, no going back. Uh, oh, you are okay. going back? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I want, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I, I, just, I was just <laughs> thinking through this sandbox or linear, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little bit of a modification to my sandbox. It is, I actually prefer linear games that have sandbox, like, elements elements to it so like you know there's there's linear storyline but in between east milepost of the story can be very kind of open and sandboxy and explory and creative yeah absolutely Absolutely. final answer all right (laughs) it's locked in it's locked in all right so now let's talk about let's segue into talking about aerial games and i feel like there must be a better way to say that is that it, it you guys have written a whole book about this or are in the process of doing that. What, what's, like, what's the like, right what you're describing. <laughs> Aerial game. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, I, I kind of just call it like sky-based stuff. Like, okay, yeah, sky-based. Okay. Yeah, just, just, just sky-based because like, I, or, or like, I mean, if you want to get technical, like could go with aeronautical, you know, if you really want to be like, you know, aeronautical stuff, you know, and that's that's a bit more technical but i think yeah that's probably the best way that's that's the best terminology yeah yet. let's go with sky based i like that yeah, yeah. Sky that's gonna yeah. it's gonna be on the template of the ad sky based yeah. games or something yeah. yeah perfect yeah um but yeah so this has been something that i've wanted to talk about for mm-hmm. a really long time so i'm really jazzed that this is something that that you guys have this expertise in because ever since i've been a little kid watching all the ghibli movies that have a mm-hmm. lot of like floating spacecraft like sky machines, you know, the castle yeah. in the sky floating around mm-hmm. and uh, Porco Rosso with the, 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 you know, the cool old timey warplanes flying about. It, it's always been something that I've wanted to incorporate in my games, but I've never felt, I've, I've always felt like there was something missing in the resources that existed to allow me to do that. So I'm super excited to hear that you're building a resource about that. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can talk about that resource a little bit later. But first, I wanted to talk to you about how having a sky-based game has impacted the game, you know, from a role-play perspective, from a creative perspective, 
from your roles as a game master and a player in a sky game mm-hmm. how does that change things if at all and i guess i'll, I'll start with a, a an overarching question about world building if that's cool and then we'll you know we'll dissect individual pieces so i guess the first thing is how has playing in the sky realms game in a game that's obviously air based mm-hmm. how has that impacted your world building for you, Bodhi, as a game master, and for you, Tom, as a player contributing to that kind of narrative from the player seat. So, <laughs> so when I came up with the idea, it was it, the night before Tom and I started writing our our campaign. I had <laughs> like a, I woke up at four in the morning, cold sweat, and was like, "I've got it! I freaking got it! We're gonna do floating islands." And I think. The the big thing world building wise that happened to me is trying to f- when I guess there doesn't feel like there's a guide of how to build a world out there like as a GM or as a DM like there's there's resources of people being like you know try this do that you know kind of thing but you've got to kind of work out your own way and for me that kind of typically goes with like large and then I like work my way down to like the mm-hmm. small and so. I started with, you know, the concept, cool, floating land in the sky. Okay. Now let's work backwards and go, how the fuck did this land end up in the sky? Why is it in the sky? How did it get here? You know, what's the reasoning and motive behind all of this? And so that was my first question that I asked myself was, how did it get here? And so I was like, well, maybe there was a planet that, you know, and bits of it got pulled away from it. What, why would bits? And then it's like, cool. So why did bits get pulled away from the planet? And I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, who's powerful enough to do that? Well, gods. Okay. So now I can start thinking about my pantheon and going, you know, well, there's Deus, the old father. And you're like, would he, and I personally, I don't like large God pantheons. That's just a me thing. I, I don't like Roman, you know, gods. I don't like Greek gods. Like, don't get me wrong. I love the lore and I love reading about it, but it's not for me in terms of creation. I'm not about like a God of luck, a God of freaking money, a God of, you know, shadows, a God of, you know, all that. I just don't have time for it. It's too many freaking yeah. religions and gods. Um, so I was like, cool. One old father who created it all. And then if people are tearing pieces of land apart, then he needs someone to face. And I was like, I don't want someone for him. So I gave him a daughter and then a step, you know, like a, a demigod son. And they were the ones that ended up causing the war and, you know, ending up with this, these chunks in the sky. So the answer is it affected every single part and still does yeah. when I'm building stuff, I have to consider, you know, what's the climate here? What, what you know, how is it, you know, feeling for these people, you know, what, what's their culture because of where they've grown up, you know, the dwarves of Thembador who are, you know, on this giant ice mountain in the sky that's, you know, super high altitude and, you know, very dangerous winds and stuff have a very different life to the dwarves that live um, uh, on Brynlaw, for example, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, another island to the south, which is, you know, a, a sunken kind of like cavernous island that's very warm, it's insulated, they've got nice la- like plant growth and stuff because of, um, you know, uh, alliances that they've made and things like that. So, oh man, it, it affects almost everything. It affects trade, it affects what exists in each place. And 
to to explain like my world is actually two places i have the land realm and the sky realm there there, there is another place the land realm that does exist um but i've only been showing people like the the, the sky realm section so yeah that it, from a world building standpoint it affects almost everything that i do mm. in terms of thinking about how it slots into whatever island they're a part of or you know the space of sky that they're occupy occupying things like that basically mm. go for it yeah I, for, so i'm gonna go the other way I, th I think for me i was just thinking about it just now like what would be the difference if we were for instance navigating the land realm and i don't think there'd be a whole lot of difference as, as a player for me it's it's interacting with NPCs, interacting with other PCs, and whether that's, you know, on a ship or on one of the islands, that's kind of what's foremost in my mind. And some of the islands have different geography, and that's, you know, feels like it's fairly similar to if you were on different geography in a, in a, in a land-based campaign, that type of thing. So, again, my, my, my whole emphasis is really to try as best I can to just get into character role-playing. And so um, there are elements of, you know, you get into a sky battle and you have to deal with those variables. <laughs> um, but just, just hearing another human be like, but you do, you just get into a sky battle. <laughs> <laughs> but like, otherwise, you know, it's, yeah, it just feel, it does feel very uh, similar to any, any sort of normal campaign. Yeah. I think, I think what's, what's lucky is, you know, the, the, the land sections that I do have are very, you know, I've, I've based them very heavily in reality and, and locales that I know and, you know, stuff that I've, I can draw on. So, you know, when you get into one of the cities or you get into, you know, a town or a small Island, you know, feels like you're part of like that, that small town and that, that, mm -hmm. that city for a period of time, you know, and, and the, the outside sky world actually disappears. I find as a GM, when we're in a place, I'm like, it's some we're here and we're dealing with this. Do you know what I mean? I think sometimes it does, but also I think your descriptives are mm. like, that's one of your strengths as a, as a DM as in, in, in that world. And, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, manticores flying above us or us, you know, shooting off, you know, like, uh, being, being a little bit like vagrant and, and like being vandals and shooting things off of one Island onto, uh, like, like, uh, patrolling, um, what, what would are kind of like police in our world, we call them the Imperials and little, little things, little touches, I think that, that bring it to life, bring the fact mm -hmm. that you're on an Island to life. I think you do a really good job with that. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really like how you guys are talking about everything is different, right? Everything about your world building revolves around this, but somehow the played experience feels the same. And I think that mm. that's really a testament to to the world you've built, Bodhi, because it could feel very different. It mm. could feel harder to navigate as a player, but in this case, it sounds like it isn't. I, and I can really appreciate that because that was something that I was worried about when I I kind of took a sidestep and instead of going full sky mode, I'm like, ah, let's just do naval vessels in my homebrew world. Let's yeah. worry about that. And I was even that worried me that, you know, the islands that my players were going to be exploring, I was worried that I would create them in a way that felt too disjointed from one another. And mm -hmm. that I would use them as these pockets of space mm -hmm. that allowed me the opportunity to create something very unique and very different. But then, you know, that, that 
how is that thing connected to the rest of the world that's here was something that I struggled with. And, and I think I've kind of figured it out, but it was something that I was worried about on the onset. So it sounds to me like you've kind of nailed that. Is, would there be any kind of recommendations or advice you might have to people listening for dealing with that kind of issue of, you know, you have these spaces, there's a lot mm-hmm. of airspace between islands. How do you still keep them feeling like they're part of the same fabric uh, of, of your mm-hmm. world? That's a great freaking question. Um, and I'll, I'll, I, I've got a couple of ideas. The first one is if you look at our sky realm, if you look at how many islands there are, there's 11 or 12 large main islands in, in, on our map that are like mostly habited, mostly like filled with stuff. Then there's probably about another 20 to 30 smaller islands that are that I have that, that don't mean shit, basically, that are that are just there to be there if I need them and to, to fill out a map and, and, yeah. and make it look good. And like, I think so. So so. What I would say with that is I, I chose those 11 islands. And with those 11 islands, what I did was I thought very similar to you of like, cool, I have a pirate island that belongs to the pirates of my world. You know, the pirate mm. king lives there. And, you know, but that island itself has actually a native group of uh, like dampiers that live on it. And they have actually taught the pirates stuff. And there's, there's like this weird connection between the pirates and the dampiers and, and, and stuff. And so, you know, I have that going on here and you, you go, well, how does that then relate to like what's going on elsewhere? And I think the thing that I started realizing is the game that I play is one that is set in reality as much as possible like i try and very much you know bring that like game of thrones grit or like you know uh breaking bad grit you know walking dead grit last of us grit you know any of those Mm -hmm. like kind of shows where you're looking at like it's people on the ground in the shit like dealing with the problem and so and the problems kind of connect like the problem is an overarching problem Yeah, so I, I chose two big problems that are going on here, which connect everybody and, and means that everyone is fighting for the same thing and thinking about the same stuff. So one, there is a awful, oppressive government that are the richest um, group of people, basically. And, and through a wealth-based class system, they have begun expanding territory, hmm. taking over massacring they're just an awful group of basically um elves that have lived for a very long time that have been able to exist and accrue masses of wealth through through time that they've been alive um and they are a big big problem because they run the trade routes in the sky they patrol their you know they don't deal with rebels you know they've they've had two big rebellions in one of the main cities that they've dealt with by starving people out and you know they're they're just pure savages like they they will do anything at the cost of their power and uh and then the other thing that's going on is because of the altitude you know again you go wow okay so islands are this far up what's what's it like up here and i was like the cloud layer that separates my two bits of world essentially would mean that a lot of the moisture and stuff would be below the islands. So there's not a lot of water up here. There's a few islands that are under regular places of rainfall, 
of like typical weather patterns, but otherwise weather is bad and mm. people's resources are dwindling. There's not food. There's not, you know, there's not cattle. There's not vegetables growing, you know, vegetation's dying all over the place. And because of that, you know, even the Imperials, even the Daimyo are starting to struggle for solutions. They're starting to turn to the arcane to come up with solutions of how they can solve this water problem up here. And so, um, yeah, dude, I, I think my advice is find something that links everyone. Everyone, like, if you look at the world nowadays, if you look at, for example, take a time period of like, you know, a time when Britain were ruling the world, you know, many groups of people unified in fighting against that. It's the same thing when Rome were going across their thing, you know, during World War II, you know, we saw the world unify for these reasons. And that can be a great way to link your mm. islands together and link your your stuff. So that's that, that would be my advice. Find yeah. a reason that even though people have different walks of life, you know, even though you have people who believe this over here and people who believe that, they both understand I'm thirsty. Like that's something yeah. we all get, you know, and that's or, super important. Or even, you know, even if they're not, even if they're part of the Imperials, they understand how, you know, their wealth-based gluttony of water is, you know, is very privileged. Mm. So there is, you know, even though there's different dynamics, different variables in different islands, some islands are a little bit more lush than others. Um, but they know, they understand that that they're, you know, a yeah. rare entity in the sky. So it's it's just having that connectivity, that that like that super, uh, I don't know, like overarching plot connectivity. Mm. Yeah, yours is, yeah, yours yeah. is political and resources. And yeah, political and resources is what it's all about. That's cool. That's really cool. And, and that's fantastic advice. Yeah, to have this overarching issue, conflict, mm -hmm. kind of be the thing that ties them together. You talked a little bit about tone to how it's gritty, very Game of Thrones. I think that might be another way, um, maybe not as explicit, mm -hmm. but having a consistent way that you're telling the story and a way that you're portraying the peoples that are living through it while it's not exactly world building and more style based, I think that could be an interesting way to explore keeping everything kind of tied together. Um, I agree with that. It, it also made me think about how cool it must be to create a player character in this space. And I mean, my head is kind of spinning at the possibilities of, oh, my character's from this island or that island or has never been to the Sky Realm before and now I'm going up. I'd be curious to know, Tom, when you were creating your player character and you were told by Bodhi, hey, we're going to be in a game set in a sky-based world, what was going through your head and what was different in, in your process compared to maybe creating a player character for something that wasn't sky-based or isn't sky-based? I want to jump in and quickly say, Tom has created some of my favorite characters in the Sky Realm. And... All of his characters are now NPCs in my world that the character that the player, anyone who plays in my world can now meet and interact with. And, you know, one specifically one of his characters has a lot of legendary lore about them. And he's actually like a notable character in the world now. And I, I just want to say Tom's characters in my world are fucking incredible. I've mm. never been disappointed by one of the characters you make in my world at all. Yeah. And, and, and thank you for that. And of, of, of the list, I love the current, the the active character that I'm playing in the Skyrim, um, and it, it's 
I don't want this to sound too boring, but it's kind of the, the typical way that you would create a character. You really have to, so to me, it's like, I want to stretch. I want to play something new, but I don't want to stretch so much that it's, I can't connect to it. So I have to have some sort of real connectivity to it. So with this particular character, I'm drawing back on my adolescence and my, my trying to find my confidence and trying to, to be adventurous and to be able to be brave and honorable, but I just haven't done it before. And I, I kind of remember, you know, elements of that when I was younger. And so that was the basis of this character. And, and it's a total character and, and, you know, he's not very, he doesn't have a lot of physical attributes as far as like speed or like agility or anything like that. Um, he's got wears to wear glasses cause he's also like, you know, what is it? Short, short sighted. And, you know, all, you know, so, all, so, so that was what really resonated for me. And then from there I colored him up and said, okay, well, um, he comes from a family of almost like red cross workers up in the sky, his family, and he's royalty by the way. But he's kind of like the, the the second in line of royalty. So he, he you know he was he's not the direct path to, yeah. to to assuming the throne or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I, I started coloring it up with his family travel across the sky, and they're very noble in their you know in their um, their help of others. Um, but he is he's just trying to find his way, and he has his. You know, his insecurities, lots and lots of insecurities, but at times he has sources of power, of energy, of like Some faith out the bag. that he, yeah, that he draws on. You know, his, his lost uncle is like this person that believed in him when he was younger. And one of his paths is to try to, not just try to, try to find his uncle, but try to find the spirit of his uncle inside of himself. Mm -hmm. And it, like a lot of that is just stuff that I, would really resonate for me in developing any character in any kind of setting mm. but that's the first thing i do is try to really connect with the character and then i'll paint around yeah. and, and did you find sorry sorry to interrupt you tom but did you find that playing this character in the space of the sky realm and having the the long voyages and the dangerous voyages through through different sky zones and and going from one island to the other did that develop your character in a in a new and interesting way for you did that did that present fun challenges for you or, or did it did it still feel kind of like you know the 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 same kind of arcs that you would have experienced elsewhere i think a little bit of both so um the the arc is that i have left my home my home so instead of it being my home village in a land-based setting i've left my home island and at some point i i hope to return to it but your home island is it's basically is a it, huge is it a huge airship it's an airship that around flies around yeah and, and, mm. and helps people so you know tom's lineage and family comes from you know a, a floating thing that never stops moving so they don't have a home in the sky yeah. as as an actual uh, like a piece of land that your family yeah. comes it's a bit, from. A bit of a nomadic um yeah. existence so i mean i guess you could tie that to a similar comparable on the land um it fits really nicely in the sky yeah. and um so yeah i think that's one i think what else um it, you know i keep coming back to there's there's a lot of similarities in land-based settings or, or let's say space-based settings or naval-based yeah. settings um the periphery is different but the interactions with the PCs and the NPCs 
you know, has to be authentic. And that's the thing that I'm, you know, I continually am loving to explore as much as mm -hmm. the other stuff. And I, I'm, I'm fascinated and really, really like joyous to be part of Bodhi's description of the world. And some of it's fucking awesome. I love it. Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, kind of reacting to all of, all of that is, is different, I guess, in the experience, but yeah, that's the, really the, cool. Yeah, the foundations, the found, to me, the foundations are what, like, I think the important thing for you as a player is to find why you love the game mm. and to try to replicate that in, in whatever setting a DM chooses to put you in. Because if you start, like, accommodating for other shit, then you now, now start compromising your own enjoyment of the game. And I think that's when it starts to not you know, be hit and miss. And I want it to be hit and yeah. hit, like, over and over again. I find that super interesting, Tom. It, and it's it's really opposite to what I would be doing, uh, to, to be honest. I, I think that's mm. really, and it's, I think speaks to the beauty of this game that there are so many approaches to mm. character creation and world building that that's why mm. it is such a passionate group of folks because there's so many cool ways to do these things. But for me, I, especially, you know, I haven't created a character for a Sky game before. Mm. Mm. But I think the first thing I would do is be like, okay, cool. How is this character different from all the other characters I've played? Well, mm. maybe they've lived their life on a ship, or maybe they've grown up flying through hyperspace, going from planet to planet and never called anywhere home. And I and I would make that so critically core to who mm. that character is that it would impact a lot of the why a lot of the questions that I ask about their motivations would fall back to this upbringing that is so specific to a sky-based setting. Mm. And, and, and you're right. You know, you got to find your fun where, mm. where you find it. So I'm not here advocating against your, your approach, but I would encourage people listening if they have the opportunity to play in a setting that's different from the ones that they're used to, to consider some of the uh, uniqueness of the setting and like, bleed it into their character in, in, a, in a way that motivates that character's decisions and, 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 and actions. And I love like it. That. Yeah, I love and, it. And, you know, I think as well, I think actually Tom, though he, he said he built his character from, from this angle, Tom actually incorporated like the flip of what you just said into his character by, by accident through his creation, <laughs> which was, you know, his character comes from this this royal family of turtles that live on this airship that go around and they help anyone it doesn't matter whether you're an imperial you know ally or you're you know a defiant rebel or you're a free a crashed freebooter you know zephyr or whatever they're gonna go help you out mm. and tom's character comes from like this innocent beautiful place and then goes into my like dark gritty world where people are dying and like they're like people are trying to like bribe you and take your shit and it's like it's a total mess and his character is so naive and just so like lost in like the big like outside world that you know in a weird way that was almost the the thing and like yes that could be applied to like like you said most other settings in in, in some ways but i think the fact that your character had this unique thing of like you've grown up on the ship you'd only ever seen other islands mm -hmm. for stepping off like a cruise for a little bit and get back mm -hmm. on and then you going out on your own adventure just changed it all, you know, and especially yeah. where your character is now. They're vastly different to who they were when yeah. the campaign started. 
It is true. Yeah, but I do like your point, Matt. I do, yeah. I do think your point is cool. It's, it's a great point. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah. There's no wrong way to do these things uh, as long exactly. as everyone's having fun, right? Yeah. Um, no, dude. You, I, I got that you were shitting on me. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> First, you know, you change the rules of the lightning round and <laughs> make your characters the wrong way. God, <laughs> just, just messing with you. Um, all right. Yeah. So that that's really really cool. Um, you talked a little bit about empires mm. and my brain immediately went to like tie fighters in star wars mm. and i know yeah. it's not you know this is a side that this is a sci-fi sci-fantasy yeah. type of space but mm. all i'm all i can visualize now in my brain is a sky fight of a bunch mm-hmm. of tie fighters circling around the millennium falcon shooting at it and they're trying to like navigate their way around and I think maybe now is the opportune moment to talk about the unique challenges and opportunities that a sky-based game has in the area of combat. So why don't we, you know, pitch this over to the two of you. And I know that this is something that you kind of outline in the resource that you're kickstarting. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the Kickstarter, a little bit about, you know, why sky combat is so unique and interesting. And we can kind of go from there. So first of all, it's unique and interesting because no one has done it. If you look at what Wizards of the Coast have, they don't have anything. You can say Spelljammer is something, but let's be honest, we all know it's not. And I like, I like, I love D and D, but Watsy, you know, took a big old dookie on all of us with with that book. And I think what we, what I realized early on in this, and I, I said to Tom, it might have been like the third or fourth day of writing. I said to Tom, I go. How do we fight people in the sky? <laughs> I was like, how do you do that? And so the unique stuff that it presents is this. And I'll talk about how we how we tackled that. Um, Trim in where you feel mm. uh, is, is important. But the the uniqueness is it allows you to choose different levels of technology. So you can go from low-level fantasy where we're talking like the most basic stuff that you could have on like an airship, for example, or a flying machine. You know, we're talking, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's, you know, like glider with like hot air pockets. You know, mm-hmm. you could go that basic. Or we can go, you know, all the way up to high sci-fi of like, you know, these are spaceships shooting lasers and beams and all that kind of stuff. And all of that fits into this realm of open space dogfights basically is what it comes down to and it's it's yeah. the same thing with naval um stuff as well though uh, you know it's more battleships than it is you know uh you know dog fighting but it's very similar in terms of theme and feel so it opens the opportunity to choose different technological periods um it opens the door for you to style your game if you want to go diesel punk steampunk if cyberpunk you know it opens you up to like again all that kind of realm of 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 creativity in combat though if we're talking specifically in combat it opens up something where your team are trying to cohesively work together and don't get me wrong i'm not sure if you feel this matt at times in DD, it feels like players are off thinking about their own thing. And in combat, it's very rare you get moments that feel like the team are fully together, in sync, doing things for the same motive. Like, I think 
One of my main moments I've ever seen that happen is in Dimension 20's Fantasy High Season 1. They're fighting dwarves at this, like, broken down, like, um, concrete place, a, mm. you know, construction place. And all the players, like, ready actions to link together to pull this giant stone golem down. And they all roll perfectly. And it feels like this team unified mm. moment that feels rare in D&D. When you have an airship, having all your players on that airship and everyone focusing on the fact that if this ship goes down, we all go down with it. This campaign ends with this ship here and now. It means that everyone suddenly cares about something that isn't just themselves. It means that everyone is trying to work together to one unified goal, either get the hell out of there or fight back and, and make your stand. And I think that's something that's just really different to D&D. Though it can be done in player combat, it, it, it can be with, with good GMing, you can set up an encounter to be like that. But it's way easier when they're all on board something that, you know, becomes part of the team. So I would say, you know, we, we, we really tried to tackle that in, in, in our system. Multiple aspects of what makes, you know, when you see old, you know, war films and you see, you know, two, you know, what are they called? Like Red Hours or whatever the planes are called. Like, Red Browns, uh, yeah. yeah, chasing each other. And, you know, they're doing loops and they're around each other's tail. And, you know, same with TIE Fighters and, and, and all that kind of stuff. That is exactly what we want this to feel like. Chess, you know, sky chess that involves high-powered weapons and danger and swashbuckling and all that kind of shit, basically. Yeah, and if, if I know you want to say something. No, it's, it's, it, is, it is all of that. Yet we also wanted to make sure, because we did, you know, we have a fair amount of feedback that there's a balance, mm -hmm. right? You want to make sure that you have fun, simple, dynamic, creative movement, right? But not at the expense of, of traditional D&D &D combat as well. Yes. So you want to have that balance of, it's not all about the ship, but it's not all about just like every player doing their own thing. So how can you do a little bit of both? How can you be aware of the ship? How can you sometimes use the ship to, mm -hmm. to, to gain an advantage over, you know, an att attacking foe or some, or, and other times, how can you exhibit your own, uh, your own powers in, in a combat that don't have to do necessarily with the ship. So we wanted to have that real, that yeah. balance. And I feel like we've gotten it. And, and I think what we saw out there was that things were either too crunchy or too loose, and we wanted to strike that, you know, that middle ground of, um, of, of providing something that. And by the way, there's enough flexibility in ours that you can turn the dials and make it crunchier I, if you prefer, or make yeah. it looser if you prefer. I, as well. I was about to say that, like the the system that we've created, the way we've tackled this. So I'll, I'll talk about a couple of different things that uh, of how we tackle this in our system, and then how. You know, I'll give some advice to people, you know, without our system, how you might be able to go about this. But otherwise, I recommend our system. Trust me. Um, the, the way we go about this, though, is one, we've created three-dimensional movement that can be done on a two-dimensional map, which is something that is revolutionary for VTTs because all virtual tabletops at this point are currently two-dimensional minus things like Tailspire and, you know, the up-and-coming like 1D&D thing that they're creating in Unreal mm -hmm. 5. Um, so that's that's a huge one. 
Then the next thing is dynamic movement. That means that, you know, whoever's at the helm is, you know, choosing the way that this Zephyr moves through the sky like it's a chess move. You're trying to predict what your enemy's doing and you're trying to make your own decisions that will then either, you know, trying to predict and be defensive or trying to predict and be offensive, you know, and trying to trying to work that out. The next thing that we brought into this is we brought in an air crew system that is vastly different to anything else you'll find out there. This air crew system allows you to either play each crew member on your ship that isn't a player or a named NPC as an individual crew member. If you want maximum crunch and you're absolutely a maniac. <laughs> However, if you also want it to be the simplistic way that we recommend you will basically have your air crew in the background doing their stuff and each player will get a list of general commands and then specialist commands based on the player feats that I'll talk about in a minute um, that they can then give the air crew to then have a resource on the ship of crew members that can then be used to do other actions. So not only do you now have player actions, not only do you now have things that you can do on the ship, stations and parts of the ship that you can interact with, but you now have an air crew that you can alter, also utilize and, uh, and do special things with throughout the combat. The final thing um, that is a huge one that we've implemented is our new player feats. And this is a new, whole new style of player feat. It's your standard feat in that you get a new ability for your player, um, but it brings with it specialist commands. And these specialized commands can basically turn your ship into a whole nother beast. So, for example, with our Necromancer uh, feat, you will basically be able to use your air crew's lives as a resource for healing your players if you wish to. You know, <laughs> with our uh, cleric feat, you can get the ship to pray together in hopes of shielding your ship. You know, That's things cool. like that. So it becomes this thing where the whole thing is alive. Your whole ship is, you know, needing repairs. You know, it's, you know, you're on a station firing something. You're trying to, you know, boost your engine. You're repairing that. You're telling an air crew member to go do this. And we wanted that, you know, chaos of what real combat feels like mixed in with the simplicity of just being able to do standard D&D combat with just options for you, just more options that make it feel more alive and more interesting. So yeah, those are how we tackle it. Any, any, any of that, if you want to dive, get me to dive deeper into that, feel free, Matt. But, uh, yeah, but, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, you guys talked about some really cool stuff and I'm really glad yeah. that you did because I think you're, you're absolutely leaning on the strength of sky combat right you talked about three dimensions going up going down left and right you know you're not just playing on one plane but yeah your ability the, the systems function in taking the three dimensions and then breaking them down into two-dimensional planes that are superimposed over one another is is really interesting and simple like it's a simple solution that makes it a beautiful one uh I also liked how you talked about the the boat and the vessel that's flying, yeah. the, the, you know, the, the craft that's flying, because you're 100% right. It presents this beautiful scenario where you need to work with your crew. Yeah, You guys can have just had the biggest fight in a role play scene two hours ago because you disagree with you know, the political decision or, or you, you left a treasure and you should have, you should have fought harder to get it or whatever. But now you're on the boat 
and you got to put that you got to put that aside and you have to work together because if this thing falls it doesn't matter what this thing was made you're <laughs> yeah. all going down you know what i mean yeah. and i love that and and it it brings me back to this conversation that i had with a buddy of mine a long time ago with with vince mm-hmm. so listeners might recognize vince he's been on the show a handful of times and we were you know it was late at night we had a couple beer, more than a couple beers in our system. We were sitting down by the campfire, and he said something to me where he said, "You know, there's no tabletop RPG party quite like a tabletop RPG party that crews a boat." Mm. And I think he said cruise a ship. He was ta- he was thinking more mm. sci-fi. I think mm. where he's like, you know, you've got the engineer, you've got the captain, you've got the the map expert, you've got the the fighting expert, the tactics guy, and they're, they're all working together to make this thing move in one direction, mm-hmm. and that creates such a fantastic party dynamic that you can't replicate really in any other scenario. And we, we you know conversation ensued, but the 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 bottom line was basically that it was yeah it presents such a fantastic opportunity for these characters to collaborate mm-hmm. and a system like yours where it emphasizes that collaboration by using the vessel as a tool to have a crew work together have parts of the boat that need to be mended or you know individual pieces of the boat of the vessel that can be hurt and then need yeah. to be taken care of. Like these are things that add a whole layer of tactic mm. that that, oh, that yeah. are fantastic. I love it. I love it so much. Well, dude, let, let me let me throw this one out there to you as well. I think you'll really like this. Something else that we we got a little GM note about. I'll share this from the book because it's 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 one of my favorites. But a little GM note that we have is. Um, during our order of combat, the order of combat that we recommend is exactly the same as the standard D&D order of combat. To keep it simple for everyone, it's what we know. We've added a simple extra step in the middle, which is that all of the Zephyrs that are in a combat move at the end of the round of combat simultaneously. Hmm. So the idea can be, and, and we, we say you know, it becomes a lot more interesting, if your players choose their movement and keep it to themselves and write it on a piece of paper, the GM chooses their movement, keeps it to themselves, and then at the end of the round, everyone's ships move and we see where everyone ended up. It becomes a whole nother ball game then because not only is everyone now trying to actually predict and use feats to then you know get insights on what the gm's thinking about doing and you know all this kind of stuff it adds a whole nother level of just truth to that moment of like oh shit i think it looks like he's going up let's go down and try and dodge him or get behind let's pull the brakes and try and get behind him you know let's swerve into him and like maybe try and ram him oh shit he went up we swerved and missed him entirely you know it becomes crazy then, and it becomes very real. And, you know, everyone's then starting to think and strategize. And that's the biggest thing we wanted. One of my biggest things that I love about D&D is when players are like, I have a crazy idea. Like, you know, I, I have something wild in here, and it's a strategy. It's a plan. It might just work. Let's see if the GM allows it. That's my favorite shit. And if if our system pushes you to begin thinking in that way of like, oh God, we need to make big plays here or we need to be thinking about that, that's exactly what we're kind of aiming for. Yeah. And I think, I think also just to build on that, as a player, 
this is really nuanced, but as a player, I understand that a, that a DM, a GM will want to build drama, will want to be, build a, a, a climactic, really tense-filled moment, right? It's their job and it's what you know, we all want to hopefully capture. I think it's even cooler if it's a matter of chance whether that happens or not. So now the, the GM is part of, it's almost part for a minute They're of the risk of the whole thing. Like yeah. it, it's out of their control as well. Mm -hmm. So those dynamic moments where, you know, someone wants to go to a different altitude and maybe both ships wanted to go to a different altitude and they start turning toward each other through their own separate moves, their own separate decisions. Um, just build some additional chaos into it that we just loved in in some of the playtesting. It was really cool how and you know there's also elements where if you're really clever, you can de-risk a situation or you can get a huge advantage on another ship by just outsmarting them. And now you know you're either behind them or and they can't really easily turn their weapons around towards you, or you're underneath them and you can ram up. You know, there's all sorts of different ways that you can play this where it. It makes it very tactical, but it's also, it's like more, I don't know, more authentic than, than just relying on the DMs, um, their control of creating the story. Because at some point, the story can be even more dynamic than anything the DM would have ever mm -hmm. created. You know, that's mm -hmm. the thing that I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And Tom, you bring up a fantastic point about how risk is elevated to this extreme right when you're in the air thousands of thousands of kilometers up yeah on this vessel that is propelled by a hot air balloon if that balloon goes down like you're in a lot of trouble so it, yeah it creates this real element of risk that goes beyond just like your character being kidnapped or being killed by like a demonic creature in the underworld like it's 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 so different and it's so beautiful. Mm. And I think personally that it can only really be replicated in, in the air. Like there, there's nothing quite like it. Uh, we talked a little bit about the vessels going up, mm. down, turning around, going, you know, into a different area. Mm. But I think part of that strategy must include taking advantage of the benefits that your vessel has over the other vessel. So I wanted to take a few minutes to talk a little bit about, you know, the opportunities that uh, Sky vehicles present and, and kind of maybe walk me through a little bit of your process for creating interesting Sky vehicles and, and what that means. That's an awesome question. Um, sky vehicles are, in my opinion, dude, I, I like when I designed my world, I was like, I love steampunk. I, you know, when I was... 15 years old, you know, 14 years old, and I was in wood shop. My teacher was like, what do you want to build? And kids were like, ah, chair, sir. Uh, I want to build, build a fucking lamp, sir. <laughs> and I was like, I want to build steampunk gauntlets because that's what's fucking up. That's, and, that's what you know, we're talking about, yeah. So I've always been in, in that mindset of I love steampunk. I love, you know, this, this kind of airship, Zeppelin, Zephyr, you know, kind of, kind of world. So... In terms of creating interesting ships and stuff like that, first of all, in the book, you will get 
um, four or five uh, large example ships that will show you, uh, by large I mean like lots of information about them. They will have a crew that is, you know, that you can use as a GM to populate with. It will have, you know, full artwork. Um, it's going to have backstory and information about the ship, all that kind of stuff. Cool. As well as yeah. then also probably about 18 other like uh, just example ships with, with less info about them, but examples that you can plug into your game. So we, the, the cool thing about this is the way we create our stat blocks is through our ship builder. So what we actually do is we just create parts that we think are cool. And then we build the ships with parts that we feel are cohesive and, you know, can design, you know, a super stealthy ship that has a mirrored hull so that, you know, it reflects light and looks like, you know, it's invisible. It has, you know, a balloon that's painted with clouds on it and blue, you know, it's, you know, a disguised blue, you know, all this. Different. So we can design the ships based on what kind of thematics we wanted based on the parts and stations that the ship is comprised of. Also, for players in the game, um, in the book, you will have uh, probably a list of over 100 parts for all the different size ships. So everything ranging from tiny to huge. We have Zephyrs that are tiny size all the way to huge. And um, if you've got enough money and your GM allows it, um, then you can build any type of ship you want. You can take and change parts of your ship when you have downtime. You know, a big part of something I love about like Cowboy Bebop and stuff is how they're constantly trying to fucking repair their ship and like mm -hmm. make the ship better. And it's just a shit show because they're constantly in combat with it. Um, and I, I love that idea of like, you know, in downtime players like, you know, oh shit, we're, we're going to go do this crazy mission. We need this new thing for our, our vehicle. Let's, our, get, for let's, our get, like a, let's get a ramming hull. Yeah, let's get it. Let's, we're going to smash and grab this pi this pirate ship. We're going to get the booty off them, you know, because mm. they're, they're fucking with our land. Mm. So we're going to go smash and grab. We need the ram, we need the dragon head ram tipped hull to go and, <laughs> and, and, and cause some chaos up in there. And so we wanted that to be a really easy system for people to do now with the ship builder that we're creating it should be even simpler it should be five ten minutes of choosing your parts clicking what you want and a stat block will be spow for you basically so, and then ready if you just, to go if you change a part you just change a part and it's, it yeah. just modifies the stat block however however the stat block needs to exactly modify. so it's just a, it's super super slick super super easy to do and we hope that that is what really elevates it because then you know, there's nothing cooler than, you know, there's, there's something cool about a GM being like, here, look through the 20 options you have and choose, you know, an airship that you like. But it's way cooler when you can be like, you know what, because of the, because we're a team of all paladins, because we're crazy. And for some reason we did that. We actually want a ship that has this ability, you know, it's got extra fortifications, like full metal jacket <laughs> hull, you know, it's, you know whatever you know and i think the airship can smite people that's what <laughs> yeah, <it's> exactly exactly <laughs> exactly you know and i think and and further than that what becomes even more fun is putting the items and stuff you want on that ship as well so mm -hmm. you know there is an abandoned ship command that you can give to your air crew and if they don't have stuff to abandon ship with then your crew are jumping to their deaths, guys. So making sure that your ship is stocked with glider suits, you know, cerulean eye gravity suits, uh, parachutes possibly, you know, like yeah. having that stuff and thinking about that before you go on these voyages 
having enough mechanics kits that means that you can repair your shit if people start attacking you. It's really important to consider that stuff. And so we wanted to make that a big part of it is this is a fully customizable, make it your own. And not only to just before I finish this point, not only did we want to make that the same with the shipbuilder, but that is the whole concept of this book is this book, you can take one rule or paragraph if you want to use it in your game. And we are happy that you found something that we created that you like and want to incorporate in your game. If you use the entire book and you love every single thing and every rule and you use it to its maximum crunchy dial, amazing as well. We want this to suit your game. And so that's super, super important all the way through the book with the rules, the shipbuilder, everything. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I, and you brought up a really interesting point, Bodhi, about customization. I, I think if, if I can go down a bit of a rabbit hole here, I think the beauty of these sky vessels or any vessel, really, like a boat, whether you're playing in a maritime game or a, a starship, if you're playing in like the sci-fi game, is it presents this very unique space that is both used in combat and used in travel and downtime. And it's this beautiful concoction combination that allows you as a game master and as, as people playing, as players playing in this space to make it your own, make it part of the living fabric of the game. And as a piece of advice to people listening, if you're building in one of these boats, whether that be with the homie and the dude, Sky Zephyrs, is that, is that what it's yes, called? Sky the Sky Zephyr Zephyrs system, system or, or whatever system you want, I think it's paramount that that boat be a living, not living, but be a character of the world. And yeah. what I mean by that is give it a name, give yeah. it a story. Whenever yeah. the players do something cool with their with their boat, maybe they they ram they, they continuously ram other boats. You know what? Now maybe they get a benefit to that because they gain that experience. They're better at it. Perk up the boat. Give them a character sheet where the boat has the feat about ramming and it gets a bonus for ramming or whatever because that's going to make them love that boat a whole lot more. And it's going to create a whole lot more drama if and when that thing were to be destroyed. So it creates this, this inanimate object that feels just as important as an NPC or a character because it is. It's like it's their home and it's been through this adventures with them. Um, one thing that I've done a lot in my game, in my pirate game, is I've made challenges explicit like explicit challenges that they had to overcome that they required their boat to do. So yeah. I, I kind of like jerry-rigged the challenge to be especially easy if they use their boat that they, you know, recently customized to have a very shallow hull because now they can get through a very narrow strait. And by doing that, it feels like this sense of accomplishment kind of carries over to the boat. Oh man, the boat, it was because of the the wave breaker that we could do this now yeah. you know it is it just keeps adding this layer of love and affection and passion for this for this thing um 
I know, I know we were talking about combat a little bit, but, but anyway, it doesn't need to be no. in combat. It can be in a completely no, different space, right? I, I fully agree with you, dude. I fully, yeah. fully agree with you. Like, I think a, a good example for anyone who's listening who owns a car that they love <laughs> profusely, yeah, exactly. that's what it is. If, your car, if anyone else gets in your car and is like, oh, and you're like, yeah, but it's got that car smell that I love, you know, and it's uh, yeah. my trousers are in the back because I like you. <laughs> If that's you, then you know what we're talking about. Like, if you mm-hmm. love like your car or your vehicle like that, it's that's what we're talking about. It becomes part of the family, like you said. It becomes part of the team, and that's that's awesome. You know, especially yeah. the if things you... it does well and the things yeah. it doesn't do so well. The things exactly. like maybe the rearview mirror, you can never quite get it. Like, it does, <laughs> exactly. if you push it too hard, it falls out. Well, you get yeah. used to that, and it becomes part of the character of of your vehicle. Absolutely. Yeah, I wrote I wrote literally a, a GM note the other day in the book that that talks about you know your players are gonna learn they're they're gonna be forced is how I wrote it they're gonna be forced to learn the strengths and weaknesses of their Zephyr very quickly. Not only that, but you as a GM will also know the strengths and weaknesses of their Zephyr very quickly, and mm-hmm. thus you can tailor the difficulty of encounters based on that because. Something else I love, Matt, is like, I'm not sure, you know, you talked about tailoring an encounter so that this new Zephyr that they have is the one to work. I also like going the opposite way as well. What is the one encounter that their ship is just not built for? And how are they going to drag that ship through that problem and and, and overcome something that they Absolutely. they really struggle with? And I, I love that as well, dude. So I think that's a really, really good you know, yeah, for, for any GMs listening, that's a solid point, Matt. Yeah, you do them in sequence, right? You give them a few yeah. softballs so that they, yeah, they that, exactly. that they're like, wow, this thing's the best. I love it. And then you get to the real big challenge and they're like, oh, we can't abandon this, this thing. It got us through those other things. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Dude, it's all about luring them in into a full uh-huh. sense of security and then just, <laughs> just bringing the hammer down. That's all, that's all a GM does, really. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, I love that. I love that. I feel like I could talk to you guys about this all night long, but you know, we've been talking for a little over an hour and I, I think I have I'll maybe two more questions for you and then we can maybe wrap Go it up. Go for it. We'll try hey, to be quick about yeah. it. Go for it. But um, the, the next one is about kind of like role-playing opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, here on role-play chat, I love to talk about role-play and I wanted to mm-hmm. see, I, I, and I'm conscious Tom of what you said earlier about how, fundamentally the world you're playing in doesn't really have that much of an impact because we're telling stories about people and relationships and those kind of stand true the test of time and location. Mm. But I'd be curious to know what kind of unique opportunities playing in a sky game presents players and game masters when it comes to like social environments, uh, role playing you know, social challenges, that kind of thing. And keeping in mind, of course, that baseline of, of human problems and people yeah. problems are the most fun regardless. What kind of things could you say might, imp- you know, might impact that or influence that with regards yeah. to the fact that you're playing, you know, on a skyship or you're playing miles and miles above the, above the ground and you could fall at any moment. How, how does that impact role play and, and does it add a layer of, of like drama or complexity that maybe people aren't aware of that they should be aware of before they start playing in a game like this? Yeah, it, it does. And it, it, it's, it's like you have more, 
more food for exploration. So if you have some regular NPCs that have certain characteristics, certain personalities, maybe you have an NPC that particularly has a, a really good, strong connection to you. And it's almost like at some point it becomes very similar to like a familiar, you know, mm -hmm. you have, you have a special relationship or you, you know, you have some sort of like, you know, less ideal relationships with some NPCs. So there's, there's aspects of that, but also like, you know, just having the ship's personality to deal with as well. So I, I look at these as just additional entities to be able to interact with and to, to be able to role play with. Um, and then also just the, the, the different aspects of skills needed to run the ship and all of that. It just, it, it, it adds color, additional color that you might not be able to easily replicate in other environments and other settings. So I think that's, that's one thing that's really cool about it. I would say as well, like, um, first of all, like, think about downtime on, like, a, a naval ship. People are, like, hanging off the ropes and probably, you know, people are probably swimming here and there as well, you know, jumping off board. It's a little bit different when you're, you know, on a skyship, but someone might, you know, hang a ha hammock over the side, you know what I mean? Like, people, it becomes like this, the downtime activities become very different. And furthermore, you know, um, I, I, I think generally in the sky, something that's really cool is filling your sky with um, natural life as well and stuff for your players to interact with that aren't just NPCs. Like, I love, you know, throwing wild creatures at you guys. Like, I, you know, we have a very, very densely packed kind of, you know, creature base in the sky of just, there's, you know, big predators, you know, there's stuff that's really cute and really nice. And, you know, there's everything in between those two things as well. And, you know, you can interact with that stuff, um, you know, while you're in the sky. But something else I wanted to mention that I think we in our system incorporated that is a big social thing that will be really awesome is with the air crew, there's a whole morale system that we've kind of put in place. Cool. So, you know, if there's stuff going wrong on your ship, you know, your air crew then can, you know, as a GM, you can start playing up, you know, your air crew aren't happy with the way you guys are treating them. You guys need to maybe pay them more or do, do something. Do, you know, you need mm -hmm. to be looking for ways to make a morale check to gain a level of morale back, you know, and, and, and things like that. And so, you know, having those interactions, uh, as well as also the leveling system we have, the optional leveling system we have for air crew, which requires, you know, you to have specific air crew for a period of time. They have to survive combat encounters and they have to like um be on your ship for a certain amount of time before they can level up and at that point you also have to negotiate new pay with them so there's that okay. whole new dynamic of players actually you know going and hiring the crew you know then dealing with their crew continuing to make the crew happy and work with their air crew you know so not only is the ship an entity but the crew is something that they socially now have to uh, have to kind of deal with but outside of that, you know, just talking generally about Sky stuff away from, you know, like um, combat or Sky Zephyrs or our system and stuff. Generally, dude, I would say in terms of role play, the big thing that it does is, you know, a lot of the role play in my world then comes down to, you know, oh, we don't have enough Ceruleanite power gems to make the water run this month. It's, mm -hmm. it's real scary out here, you know. Like it becomes, you know, this role play that changes is based on the fact that it's like, cool, you've got long voyages to make. There's, you know, hard high altitudes for people, you know. So at times role play might be hard because everyone might be wearing 
masks to deal with high altitude or high congestion levels of many zephyrs in an area, you know, hmm. things like that. So I think the, the, the big difference is that you're going to be looking at whatever lore you bake into your world about this sky thing. That will affect almost every every conversation, every thought your players are having. You know, our, I know our cast are thinking about, you know, we're now connected to this group of rebels called the Water Runners. And they're, you know, out here in the sky. They're, they have their own airship and they're running. They're delivering water to people in the sky illegally. So, you know, you're kind of the way that you plan and the way that you talk to those people, then the way you deal with mafia that you're working with and, you know, the way you deal with guards that you're befriending to get the water from, you know, it becomes a really interesting situation. And I think, you know, obviously there's opportunities for being in the sky if you want to create lingo of like, oh, you know, check your port sky bow. You know, if you want to like make up, you know, lingo and, you know, in role playing that way as well you know if you want to go that way you you definitely can do but i think the the room is just you creating a really beautiful fruitful world that incorporates the aspect of flying being a challenge you know and and mm-hmm. or, you know or, or or something that is needed to be dealt with you know irregardless of you know whether it's as easy as for us as humans where you pay for a ticket rock up three hours you're on a flight flight you watch movies and get there or if it's as difficult as, you know, pulling lines and raising sails and, you know, doing all this other shit and chucking, you know, gems into an engine to, to power it and stuff. You know, it, it all comes down to, you know, how that then impacts the rest of everything that's going on. All the standard social and political and trade and wealth and all that shit comes down to how easy is it to fly and do that shit yeah. between yeah, islands yeah, yeah. And, and, and all of that. So it all interlinks back together is, is I guess, mm. what now it's that next level of just something else to fucking worry about the whole time. It is. It is. You're right. It's, it's, it's something else to worry about, but I think, I think we ought to worry about it. And as a game, mm. as a game master or as a player playing yeah, in a totally. space, right. It's, it's part of it. Yeah. And like, I really liked your example about how, Either you can be pulling the ropes and doing all this work and talking to the crew and get boosting up the morale, or you could, you know, pop a couple of Xanaxes, pop in the plane and fly for <laughs> six hours to wherever you're going. Yeah. But if that's what's happening in your game, I would I would argue that that's not necessarily a sky based game because the mm. the sky isn't pivotal in yeah. it. It's it's not playing an important enough role. You're just using it as a method of transportation. But I really, really like this idea of, yeah, you know, the role play involves the distances. It involves the downtime. It involves the crew that's helping you do it. It's involving the the, the, the social political drama that's associated to the fact that you're in the air. Like those are the yeah. things that, those are the things that make being in the air unique and we need to focus on that if that's what we want to be playing in the sky game. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's, that's a fantastic oh. point. Dude, dude, like a, a great example is as a GM, I forgot we were in the sky. I run a combat encounter where our players are in their, on their ship. They fall asleep for the night and put the ship on like cruise control. Basically in the night pirates latch onto their ship and start boarding them. At one point, the players are like fighting the pirates, and one of the players just straight up kicks one of my pirates off the ship. And, <laughs> and I'm like, well, 
he's gone. Yeah. He's gone. <laughs> like that's that's yeah, that's it. He's yeah. gone. You don't have to roll for damage. Yeah, I'm like the like don't roll for he's he's dead. I'm like and and how you do this is he falls and is never seen again. I'm yeah. like that's that's how that goes. And so you know that's one of those moments where, like you said, it needs to be accounted for. I shouldn't have. As a GM, he should have been standing so close to the banister. Do you know what I mean? Like uh-huh. he wouldn't have been that close to the edge of the ship. That was my mistake of not thinking about that in that moment. And I think, you know, that's something that needs to be accounted for at all times, for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, all right, really last question. We'll be quick about it, and then and then we can maybe talk final thoughts on your on your Kickstarter. Uh, I wanted to ask you. Let's pretend I'm a game master who's never run a game in the sky. And you know what? I, I have. I've never run a game in the sky. What would be advice that you would give to somebody who is contemplating and considering it uh, that goes above and beyond what they would normally do You know, mm-hmm. when they prepare a game or they get ready to mm-hmm. run a game? So, something that you would recommend they consider because it's going to involve the sky. That's a great question. Uh, my my like gut instinct the moment you said that the first thing that i was like oh you need to do this is you need to have your way that anything is flying you need to know the lore behind how that works so mm-hmm. if that is you in in our world you use gem these very special gems that can be mined or or some creatures grow them and you know if you hunt those creatures and harvest them you can you can take the the gems from them um but the gems power engines. Someone invented an engine that then works with the gems, and the engines work like any other engine. It creates hot air to power a blimp, to blow air at sails, or to create enough uh, traction for fans to work. So mm-hmm. that is, you know, in, in our system, it goes gems to power output to flight. And that's how we worked out how that works for us. Other people I know have got like, you know, wood that's so light that it just, you know, it when combined with this, it floats, you know, or like uh-huh. if you have a wizard on your ship, he'll magic your shit to like the new place. <laughs> and, and whatever your lore is, make sure that it's consistent. And even if, if other, it, it can differ as well. Like you can have, you know, certain people might be using air genasis to use a sail-based ship, you know, that does this, mm-hmm. that has the 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 blimps underneath or whatever you know you can change the like dynamics of it but make sure that the core system is consistent with the technology of the timing of you know what you've got you know if you've got swords and 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 shit and and stuff then you might want to consider whether you know you're going to have fully fledged engines you know but if you're going to have things like pistols and like watches then an engine seems a little bit more reasonable at that mm-hmm. point. Do you know what I mean? So consider what your world's timeline is in, where it is technologically. That's a big one that I would strongly recommend to GMs. You have to, you have to know why, why yeah, and be how. Consistent. Yeah, yeah. be consistent with that lore. And then my other one would be, why the freak are we in the sky? And if you don't have an answer to that question, you are in the most trouble. That's yeah. that's where the most trouble seeps in. If you don't know why you're in the sky, yeah. then that's a problem. So find out why, find out how, you're good to go, in my opinion. Yeah. Anything else that you'd add to those? No, I think that's that, that, that's those are the main ones for sure. And then and then don't maybe don't um, don't shy away from it. 
No, I was going. Yeah, that. Yeah, don't shy away from traditional stuff that you like in D and D as well, because mm-hmm. that all can be supported very nicely in the sky. So if you have those those considerations, and then just build a fucking story and some characters and some places, yeah, and have some fun. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. that's basically it. A hundred percent. Yeah, just you know, take the skies, take to new heights. Like it, it seems daunting because it's like, oh, there's so much open space. It's dude. It's way more, think about trying to write a whole continent. Are you crazy? Like, it's way easier to get up in the sky and write individual (laughs) islands where you can pocket things into one place and things like that. It's way easier to do that. Mm -hmm. And trust me as well, like, it becomes fun, especially if you lean into the the sky stuff, you know, living on an airship or living out in the skies, you know, not being, you know, people who are either island hoppers or people who are, you know, based solely in one city or something like that. But embrace the fucking sky, you know, get yeah. get your party out in there, you know, start the campaign with them having their ship already and, you know, starting it in the sky or, you know, being part of a fleet of pirates and, you know, they've been sent out on them and they've already got their ship that they've, you know, come to get, you know, give them that, lean into that shit. Don't, don't, yeah. don't shy away from that. If anything, you will find yourself being like, wow, this is wild and I'm having so much fun. Yeah. Um, and if it's overwhelming, then, uh, then guess what? It might not be the thing for you as well. That's something else. Like, I, I don't want to put this out there as like, you know, sky things are for everyone. It might not be. But the beautiful thing is, you know, there's a thousand different things that you can try out there and a, a million different things that will work good for you. The beautiful thing is about our system is it can work for a lot of those different things. So, you know, definitely keep in mind that, you know, there, there's stuff out there and we're going to be releasing stuff that will help you guys with that and, and, and help you get closer to being able to do it in whatever way suits you. If that's, you know, tanks, then we're coming for that. If it's, you know, submarines, we're coming for that as well. So don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. You know, we, we got you guys. And I think, you know, just, just know that, you know, you guys can do it. Any, anyone can do it. If I can do it and I'm, I'm like, random 25 year old you know no university degree i'm just a fucking dude if i can make an awesome sky world so can you so don't be afraid of that well i think you're you're not giving yourself enough credit there Bodhi. but yes i (laughs) agree with i agree with the fact that people should try it absolutely i like the idea that you're saying tom that if you can run a game on the ground you can run a game in the sky so long as, like you're saying, Bodhi, that you're consistent. You have the answers to the reasons as to why you're there. And if you buy Sky Zephyrs, right? It's going to give you all the yeah. tools that you need to, <laughs> to, to, to systematize the things that are maybe a little bit too crunchy or complicated to come up with on your own. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we take this opportunity for the two of you to talk a little bit more about Sky Zephyrs and, and in, more importantly, inform people where they can follow the the kickstarter where they can pledge for the kickstarter and uh and feel free to talk about other projects or things that you've got on the fly as well do you, do you want to talk about the kickstarter first a little bit and then sure. I'll, I'll tag it we'll, we'll definitely bit. hook you up matt with a link just to have if you if you can put it in the description even easier absolutely yeah it'll be down in not down i always say that every single time as if people are watching me on youtube they're not <laughs> it's going to be in the show notes absolutely so the links to, yeah. to to your twitter to your website and of course uh to the to the link for the kickstarter yeah and if if for whatever reason um you want to go about it in a different way we're homing the dude everywhere 
Um, so you can find you can you can find it pretty easily within a, a couple clicks. Um, whether you're on Twitter, whether you're on Instagram, whether you want to go to our website, homeinthedude.com, you'll see that it is featured on all of those platforms. And eventually, it'll get you to our Kickstarter page, which is Sky of Zeppers 5E. Um, uh, if we're not live by the time this drops, then there'll be a pre-launch page where you can sign up you just have to put your if you if you're not familiar with kickstarter just put your email in you might have to sign up for a kickstarter account and what happens is if you sign up for the pre-launch um then as soon as it goes live you get a notification on that day and then uh you can click on the notification and donate to Back the to kickstarter yeah and your heart's content yep 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 and so yeah we we have worked about a year just over a year on it now. We have spent a lot of our passion on the project. We're really proud of it. And if it seems of interest to you, we would be grateful for you to come over and support it. Um, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just say, it's uh, it, Sky Zephyrs is gonna be a three-dimensional, swashbuckling, dynamic system that you can throw over your game and you know take to, sky, take to the skies new heights you know the sky is no longer the limit for anyone out nice. there in our system um it will be something that you know you can enrich your players with and enrich yourself with as a gm with lots of new player options uh lots of new examples zephyrs and airships as well as creatures items spells and mechanics for you to just pad out your game and make it a whole lot more interesting and exciting for your and players. pimp your ride with pimp your ride that's what we've got to call it pimp your blimp with our with yeah. our shipbuilder application that will be available as part of the kickstarter as well <laughs> um which we hope to evolve into a full-on vehicle builder at some point um in the future Outside of that, guys, if you're interested in, you know, what that kind of looks like in the world that we play in, I strongly recommend checking out our Skyrealm um, actual play. In that, we have an incredible cast of players. We have Sam Comerford, who you will have heard on this podcast. Uh, we've got Amber Logston, uh, the Space Jamber. Uh, and we've got Blake Francis, an absolute legend, as well as Tom and Tracy, my father and mother, um, both incredible players. So we are a family podcast, though we definitely don't make family safe content <laughs> but um but we we hope you guys check that out uh, it's an awesome story about rebellion oppression fear love friendship and justice um it's freaking sick um and finally uh, the last thing i'll say is um if you're looking for something a bit shorter that's that's long frame storytelling if you're looking for something a bit shorter um and you love avatar the last airbender um, we just released a very short four-part series uh, of us playing Avatar Legends, the new Avatar role-playing game um, set in the world of Avatar Legends, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, um, centered around two airbenders, one earthbender and one firebender, um, as they try and fight back the Fire Nation attacks that incited the Hundred Year War and caused uh, the, the extinction of the Air Nomads. Um, very, very exciting plot. Tells the story of unsung heroes who are mm. lost to history. Uh, and Tom, 
crushes it. It's one of Tom's best performances. It's one of the it's one of our stories that we're most proud of. It so is, yeah. if you want to hear a wild story with lots of ups and downs, everyone cried. We all cried multiple times throughout <laughs> the show. It's a banger. It's a banger. That's great, guys. That's yeah, that sounds fantastic. So yeah, I 100 percent agree. Everybody listening should go check out uh Tom and Bodie's content, especially Sky Zephyrs. I know I will be, and you'll be checking, you know, I'll be talking about it on the show for a little while and I'll be tweeting it out. So I hope people listening, you know, seriously consider getting it because like we've been talking about today, there's no, there's no kind of duplication or or replication of playing in the sky. I think it really presents a fantastic and unique way to play this game. If you had questions for me, you can contact me on the usual channels that's at roll underscore play underscore chat on Twitter. And if you don't want to be subjected to a character limit, you can email me at contact roleplaychat at gmail.com. A friendly reminder to review the show wherever you're listening and to share it with the fellow players or game masters that you play these beautiful games with to help spread the good word of roleplay chat. And with that, Tom Bodie, thank you once again for, for returning to roleplay chat to chat with me. It has been a pleasure. Thanks for uh, having us, dude, dude, first of all, anyone listening, Matt is the true legend. <laughs> anyone who listens to this knows that Matt is the true legend. So all of you, again, good shit for listening to this guy. Thank you for continuing to bolster this guy because this podcast is awesome. It's one of the best resources out there. Um, keep listening it. Keep sharing it. Word of mouth, social media, whatever you can do. Get this beautiful podcast in front of people who love TTRPG's eyes. Uh, because Matt that. bloody appreciate deserves it. And thank you, dude, for having us. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, Matt. Cheers, guys. Let's call it a chat. Hell yeah. Let's call it a chat. Beautiful. And as always, I'd like to thank Alex and Chase over at Pocket Bard for allowing me to use this music for intro and outro in today's episode of Roleplay Chat. Go check out Pocket Bar. It's real cool. <laughs>